Put God first. Your presence in their lives gives them validation. Our children don't need us to be superheroes. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. Men, stand up, be fathers. Welcome to the Inspired Legacy Podcast, Season 1, Episode 10. Hey everybody, I'm Mark Henderson, your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy. If you're a man looking to level up his life, if you've felt that call to fulfill a higher purpose, if you're passionate about being the best husband and father that you can be, then this is where you belong. This show is dedicated to equipping dads, just like you, with the tools and knowledge you need to confidently lead your family, love them unconditionally, and leave a lasting legacy. Well, before I get into today's guest, if you get anything out of today's show, I would be humbled and extremely grateful if you would do three things for me. First, subscribe to this podcast. Second, leave a positive review in iTunes. If you guys know anything about podcasts, and I'm guessing you do since you're listening to this, you know that the biggest factor in getting this show in the hands of more men lies in the number of ratings and reviews it receives in iTunes. So again, I would humbly ask that after this show, just take five minutes, follow the link in the show notes, and leave a positive rating and review for The Inspired Legacy. And finally, if you guys take anything away from today's episode, share it with your friends, send it in an email. If you're listening on your phone, Take a screen capture, post that to your Instagram story, and tag me. Let me know what you thought of the show. You guys play a central role in promoting the show, and again, I always appreciate the help and support. Well, guys, today's conversation was one that um, took a little work coordinating as far as schedules go, but I'm so happy that it finally worked out. I talked with a guy by the name of Mike Yarbrough. He is an entrepreneur. Uh, he's the founder of Rustic in Maine. They make like heirloom quality rings that you just have to see to believe. They're just, they're beautiful. Um, he is the founder of the Side Hustle Switch. And since you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing there's a chance that you know his name from his own podcast titled Wolf and Iron. And that's a, a show where he dives into, you know, lots of topics like the art of manliness, uh, Christian living, raising kids. Really, just about any topic that guys find interesting. But he's also a husband, and he's the father of two sons. And this show is, again, just a laid-back conversation between two dads. And we just sort of riff back and forth about what it takes to raise godly kids, some of the challenges that we face, and some things that we're both doing to be really intentional about our role as dad. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Mark. I'm doing great, man. I'm having a good morning as we're talking here. It's uh, it's early spring and um, just enjoying the weather here in North Carolina. Having a good day. Looking forward to a good conversation with you. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, you've been on my radar for quite a while, and uh, I'm a, I've been a listener to your podcast, and I just love the topics that you cover on your show, and I'm excited to kind of dive into some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Um, but first, you know, I've kind of gone through your professional bio. Uh, tell the listeners about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a so I'm forty, almost forty one years old now. Um, forty one years young. There you uh, go. I'm I'm too, I'm, a, I'm too young to say to play the old game. The uh, I'm a I've been a dad for a number of years. I've got a sixteen and a nineteen year old, and um, so my wife and I got married when we were eighteen. Started young. It's tough, you know, when you're when you're a uh, when you don't have a great necessarily family of origin as you're coming from to, you know, it's really not put together the right way. And you don't necessarily have a lot of people in your life to kind of guide you and stuff. When you get married young and you start, you know, popping out kids, man, you're just kind of winging it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is long before like podcast and, and all that. I mean, there were books, but you know, uh, you just didn't, didn't, there were a lot of things you didn't know. And so there were probably a lot of years where as a young dad, I really wish I had had things like this, like your podcast and, and, and others out there and the information that I have now. Um, but we got started young raise the kids the best we could. And now that I'm uh, probably since I guess it was in my thirties, I really began to, to see and to take uh, fatherhood more seriously and to really want to dig in. And now that my kids are getting older, my, you know, like I said, I've got a 16 and a 19 year old, both boys They're, um, 
you know, they're going to be heading out of the home soon. And, you know, that's one of the things where I'm, I'm really thinking the time, the clock is ticking and I really want to invest in them as best I can over these next few years before they head out on their own. Um, I'm also married. We've been, like I said, I've been married to my wife since we got, uh, you know, basically out of high school, met in high school. Her name is Summer and we live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we've got two dogs. There we go. You've got a full plate and you're a business owner on top of all that, right? I am. I've got a couple of different businesses. Um, I think this probably fits more under the Wolf and Iron umbrella. So Wolf and Iron is a podcast to help men, um, a community of men, uh, to basically help us heed the high call that's on our lives to be the best men that we can be. And I've been doing that for about five years. Uh, it was a blog initially, just started writing things in my lunch breaks, and then that became a podcast and kind of became a movement. And now we've got tens of thousands of guys who tune in over the uh, over the course of a month uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, we've got a great community of guys as well. I'm also a business owner of something called Rustic and Maine, and it's very different, but these there are some some connections between just business in general. The Rustic and Maine, uh, M-A-I-N, like Main Street, we actually create wedding rings of all things, and we create wedding rings out of historic woods and other unique materials. So we've got woods from World War One, World War Two, old battleships and rifle stocks and whiskey barrels and all kinds of cool stuff, and we always try to weave together a story of some kind into the ring so the ring really just tells a story. People don't just have a, a, a typical gold band. And um, and then along the kind of this whole entrepreneurial thing that I'm doing, we've got something that we just started up called the Side Hustle Switch. I know these are a lot of things. Nobody's going to remember all these things. <laughs> but we've got something called the... <laughs> we'll get it all in the show notes. That's okay. That's good. Yeah. Check out the show notes. Uh, the Side Hustle Switch is a uh, it's basically a five-week course that helps entrepreneurs launch and, and, and really take their business to a place, even while you're working it as a side hustle and you still got a full-time job to be able to get to a place where you can make the leap from, as we say, from your career to your calling. And that's the, the idea is that there's certain things that you need to be focused on as an entrepreneur that if you just try to just kind of do it, go it alone, try to do it on your own, there's just going to too much information out there, too many things. And there really are certain things that you need to focus on at, at that particular stage in your business. So we just launched that. And that's pretty fun. It's been great to see other people come along with their businesses and, and, uh, and see them kind of the lights come on when they, when they take the course and they, they see the things that, um, you know, that, uh, that that's really going to help them along. And it's every business that we do is like that, like Wolf and Iron, Rustic and Main, Side Hustle Switch. They're all, all like that. It's, it's something that you put in front of somebody and they go, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And that's, uh, or this means something to me, or that's exactly what we were looking for. That's exactly what we need. And so that's, that's exactly where I want to be with the, the things that we're pursuing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And for those, uh, listeners that aren't familiar with Mike and what he's got going on, um, rustic and Maine, I follow that Instagram account, man, you got, your work is just beautiful. I mean, you can, the, the, you mentioned that there's a story behind each piece and you can really feel it come through even just in a static picture. You can just feel the richness of each, of each piece. And they're all so unique and they're just really beautiful. And um, probably I would say heirloom quality. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's what our, our goal is. Um, you know, we've been doing rustic in Maine for about three years now and, uh, we've got a team of people who make the rings. So I, I actually don't get a chance to make rings as much as I used to, but we've got a team of people who do this. And the cool thing about having a team, and it's just an awesome, we got about 10 guys out here, uh, or, or 10 people. We actually got a gal out here as well that makes rings. And, we all share information. And so one person will find a trick that seems to add to the quality of the ring, make it last longer, uh, better finish, you know, different things like that. And so we're, we're, we're really a, a kind of the microcosm of just perfecting the, uh, the style, the quality, the story, just everything about it. And it just gets better and better every few months. And, uh, and we do really, really want these rings to last uh, for years to come so that you can hand them down to your kids. They can tell the story and, um, uh, yeah, like you said, if you look at the rings online and you just kind of see the different woods involved and different elements, sometimes we'll use cloth from old military uniforms or ribbons uh, from a, a service member, and we'll, we'll put those things in there. And it's just it just pops, and it's a richness and a story that you just you're not going to get. I don't, I don't think in, in any other kind of ring. So we're we're really excited about. It. We love it. It's, it's always a lot of fun, and our customers come up with great ideas too. I want to go back to your story because um, as you were talking through your personal story, I can relate to so much of that. Uh, I married my high school sweetheart. We're still married today. We've been married for 23 years. I uh, got married when we were 19 and had our first kid uh, soon thereafter. And she's since married and pregnant and due uh, this June. So I'm going to be a grandpa in June. 
And you talk about an identity shift. That's just, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. How old are you then? So you're 41, 42? I'm 42. Okay. Man. I'll be 43 in July. So this is where I've, this is where my brain goes. Cause my, guys, I got the young kids too. And I'm thinking I might be a grandpa in the next few years. Yeah. And I'm kind of, <laughs> I, I don't hate it. I don't hate the idea. I kind of think that'd be kind of cool. It seems really, really young, but there's also a part of that where I, you know, your kids get older and you kind of miss the, those baby or small, you know, younger years, wish you could have done some things differently. Totally. So I'm already thinking grandpa esque type of things. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the same boat obviously. And I'm in, I've embraced it. You know, like you said, it is really young, but there's a lot of upsides, you know, I'm going to be able to enjoy those grandkids for a lot longer than a typical grandparent and, and probably yep. even be able to, you know, toss the ball around with them a little bit. Cause I know that the first one coming here is going to be a boy. So we're excited about that, Good. but yeah, it is, it's definitely a, a mind shift, but because I got started at such an early age, similar to you kind of thrust into manhood, forced to make, you know, real, uh, manly decisions when I was maybe not quite prepared to do so. And just kind of, you know, figured stuff out, out as I went, I came, I was fortunate. I came from a really good family, a strong Christian background. Um, so I, we had a solid foundation to begin with and had lots of support to kind of help us through those early years. Uh, honestly, don't know if we would have made it if that had not been the case. And I know that is the case for yeah. a lot of people that go through similar situations where they don't have that family support and it's just tough to make it on your own. And so kudos to you and your wife for sticking it out and making it through those hard years. And, um, yeah, same to you. but a lot of those struggles along the way is kind of what led me to found the inspired legacy. So I can in turn kind of impart whatever wisdom that I've picked up on along the way to other guys who are out there, maybe just starting out or maybe have been in the parenting realm for a while and always looking to sharp their ax and improve, uh, their parenthood situation. And it, from what I've gathered, it's kind of similar to your mission as well. So I kind of wanted to unpack the Wolf and Iron mission a little bit more. Um, what specifically led you to form Wolf and Iron? You mentioned it just started as a blog, but before that, like, what was the the inspiration behind the movement? So as I said, you know, I didn't always have, um, you know, great examples in my life. But my, the one great example that I had was my grandfather uh, on my mom's side, and he really imparted to me whatever kind of seeds of manliness that eventually kind of bloomed into something, um, some good character things. And the, I think what really led me to start Wolf and Iron was just this understanding that I had kind of come into this world where, uh, I, I didn't have a permanent father figure. I'm surrounded by guys who don't have permanent father figures. And at the same time, we have this sometimes it leaves us with this desire to go start a family and do things right. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of in this weird catch 22. We want to go out. We want to start a family. We want to break away from whatever the mold is that we're coming out of. We want to dig ourselves out of this, out of the ditch that we didn't create this hole there. And at the same time, we're the most ill-prepared people to do that. And so we want to start the family. We want to have kids. We want to do things right. And we're going to just fall back into a lot of the same traps that, um, that a lot of, that our parents fell into because that's what we know. And thankfully, I had some guys come along over the years. I was in my 20s and then uh, in my 30s, had some guys come alongside me and, and, and you know, call me out sometimes, teach me some things a lot of times, just give, of me, uh, give, give to me some of their time and some of their wisdom. And I began to grow and I began to take up a little manliness of my own. And as I got more confident in that, I had a strong desire to just give that back to the guys um, that were around me, so, you know, mm -hmm. uh, young guys or even peers, and, and begin to kind of share some of the things that I knew. And that passion just kind of overflowed into the blog and into Wolf and Iron. Wolf and Iron actually started, I had this desire to do something for men, something manly, and uh, to help men be better men. That was basically the, um, that was kind of the, as much as I had defined it at that point. And I was walking by some guys that, I think it was at the end of church one day, and I overheard them talking about something. And they, they mentioned the words Wolf and Iron. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't even know if I heard them right. But I just, I heard, I was like, man, that's, those are some manly words. I want to do something with that. Yeah, they are. And I kind of, and I, and I took it and I was like, it, you know, it's not, it's not as, um, it's not as on the nose as like, you know, Mike's man blog or something, you know, <laughs> and, but that's how I think. I think, man, I just want something that just calls me out just says, it speaks to me. And it did. And I, and I went out and I, before I even knew what it was about, I, I registered, I got the blog or I got the, uh, the dot com and all that kind of stuff. And I found out it was about a book. And then I talked to my friends and they said, yeah, we we're talking about this post-apocalyptic book 
called uh, the title of the book is Wolf and Iron. And uh, if you go search for Wolf and Iron, you'll find both my podcast and also the book out there. It's got nothing to do with each other necessarily, except one kind of unintentionally inspired the other. And, uh, and in, in the book, it's, it's an okay book. It's not a great book, but it's an okay book. Basically talks about a young man who is in this post-apocalyptic world. He's got to go from being kind of a college geek to uh, surviving and fighting a bear and having a baby in a cave and all kinds of crazy stuff. But he, he basically grows as a man in a lot of ways. And so it was a good fit. And, um, and so I, I just took that and began just writing and, and just out of that heart of wanting just to share, you know, both share some knowledge, but also share my journey. And, uh, and also something that kind of, kind of keeps me going forward. You know, as a, when you're teaching something, you learn so much more than you do if you're just sitting back and you're listening. Yeah. If you're observing, right. You're yep. a student. And so I knew that I wanted to be a teacher of these things. I also knew that at the time, I think it was, uh, maybe 2013, uh, when Wolf and Iron started up, you know, art of manliness was about it. I mean, there really wasn't hardly anything else out there. Sure. And art of manliness is a great blog. I love what Brett's uh, doing out there and great podcasts and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I thought this, with this vacuum of the lack of manhood, people are going to come in and take advantage of that. You're going to have the the wrong kind of characters talking about what it means to be a man so that they can sell you something mm-hmm. so they can, you know, uh, get you to, you know, be, uh, be more macho, but not necessarily be manly in the classic sense. And I said, I want to be a part of this conversation and I want to help fill that void in a good way, in a positive way. Uh, I'm a Christian. So a lot of that comes through in the things that I talk about. And, uh, I don't begin every podcast with a chapter and verse or anything like that, but I do bring Christian and Christianity and Christian principles into a lot of the things that I do just organically because that's how I think. And so I wanted to really have, have a, get a foothold there before this thing just got crazy out of control with everybody trying to do something manly and, and just leading guys astray. And then, uh, and then over the course, you know, the last few years, we've had a lot of different podcasts pop up and it's been a lot of really, really great guys. And it's great to see because we need those local chapters. We need those guys who are out there getting the word out. So people don't just feel like it's, you know, a couple of us out here, you know, one or two guys out here doing something about being a man. They eventually people are going to catch on. Oh, this is what a, <laughs> this is what a man looks like. And these, you know, 10, 15 blogs, podcasts, whatever are showcasing that really, really well. I think that's uh, I think that's actually a really good thing. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and my inspiration behind the inspired legacy was very similar because I've, I've got a boy, 10 year old boy, and I, I know the challenges ahead of me. And like you said, there are a lot of voices out there that are preaching quote unquote manhood. Uh, but not all yeah. of it is the type of manhood that I want my boy to latch on to. Right. And I think there, yep. like you mentioned, there are other uh, blogs and sort of movements out there that do preach a good style of manhood, you know, like the, you know, Ryan Mickler, Order of Man, and the uh, the Dad Edge, yep. and and those types of things. Those are great. Um, but specifically, I want to take the angle of um, all of that through the lens of spiritual growth and and uh, Christian faith, because I think that's really yep. what is going to ultimately make. Um, that's ultimately what the kind of man that I want my son to grow up to be is a godly man, right? I want to yep. dive into that a little bit deeper. Okay. So I've got two girls, and raising girls is a you know, that's a separate podcast. <laughs> that's a different beast. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're ahead of me when it comes to raising kids. Like you said, you've got some teenage boys, uh, one soon to be out of the house. So, you know, give me advice. Where do you start when it comes to raising a godly teenage boy? You know, I think that one of the things we need, this is, this is a very sobering uh, thing to think of, but one of the things we need to keep in mind is that our view of our fathers affects our view of God. And the same is true. This is particularly true, I think, for sons. Uh, but it's, it's, it's true as well for daughters in different kinds of ways. But I think that, especially for sons, um, just speaking as a son and having sons, I know that my boy's view of God is going to be influenced by how I am as a father. And, and I say influence, not meaning that it's um, set in stone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I have to have this understanding that when I'm angry, uh, when I'm dismissive, when I'm basically falling short of being, um, a very godly dad, they're, they're catching that. And there's something that's going on, is, you know, is getting cemented into their brain in some ways that they may not become aware of until they get to be older. And they may have a hard time drawing near to God, trusting God, you know, any number of things. 
And a lot of that falls on my shoulders. How did I treat them? How did I raise them? And we're all, look, guys, we're all going to screw up. We're all going to make mistakes. But that's something that we need to keep in mind is that there's, there's no getting around that. Whether you're an absent father, whether you're not in the picture at all, whether you are in the picture, but you're lazy or you're, um, you're easygoing, you don't, you're, you're, um, you're not playing the coach when you're supposed to be playing the coach. Uh, you're being, um, you know, a hard nose, get things done kind of parent without love and affection. Uh, you're a rules guy, whatever it happens to be, wherever your natural bent is, and you're doing that too much, um, to the detriment not only of maybe your relationship with your son, but also your son's relationship with their their heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the things we've got to keep in mind is that I'm always setting this example of of how God operates. And you know, I, I grew up without with an alcoholic father, and, uh, and and really he wasn't in the picture most of the time. And I'm you know I'm 40 years old. I'm just still unpacking what that looks like, why, how, what kind of impact that's made on me. And, uh, as far as how I view God based on how he, our relationship. And so you got that. It's, it's strange, but it's just the way it works. It's the way we're wired. And I think God's put us together that way. And I think it, it calls men to that higher call of like, look, your influence is going to be far and wide, like it or not, buddy. You know, when you, especially when you have kids, you, you don't get to, you don't get to not sign up for the parenting role. You've got to be, in that role. You've got to do that. Um, because otherwise, even if you are out of the picture, you're still making an impact. And that's, um, I think that's very sobering. Yeah. Yeah. And the point you made about them, you know, we set the example, right. Through our, through our actions, through our behaviors. And that was something that, you know, I learned, fortunately learned pretty on pretty early on in my parenthood uh, with my daughters that kids in general, whether they're girls or boys, um, especially, you know, boys, as it relates to this conversation, they're always watching, even when we don't think they are, they're always watching and they're taking in and they're evaluating how's dad handling the situation? How's dad handling or acting in front of these people? How's dad treating these people? And so we have to be so intentional when it comes to our behaviors, how we spend our time, what we pay attention to, how we spend our energy, because they're going to mimic that in some form or fashion down the road. Um, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Uh, and so we just like, yeah, we have to be mindful of everything and be really, really intentional about that. So that's, that's a good point. So with that in mind, do you, what have you done to sort of intentionally expose your boys to the type of thinking and behavior and um, everything that you want them to reflect? How, how have you intentionally exposed them to that kind of stuff? This has been really a big challenge for us. Um, as a family, our dynamics are, our personality types are all very different. I mean, you could just kind of go around the the room and you would all be very different. And we we don't always agree on things. Like I see some families where they're like, okay, guys, we're going to get together. We're going to have Bible study time. And dad's going to read us a story. And, you know, all the kids all line up and they're just eager eyed and they, you know, sitting on the floor and they're just taking everything in and absorbing everything like a little sponge. And then they you know, when then Bible time's done, they're all dismissed and they go do their chores like the obedient little children. Doesn't happen that way, does it? <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, I mean, not for my family. It's never happened that way. And I know a lot of that has to do with the, the dysfunction that, that my wife and I probably bring into the family to some degree. Uh, both of my boys were born on the autism spectrum, and so they had a number of uh, issues, challenges, um, just paying attention. I mean, these, but these are common problems now mm-hmm. that a lot of kids are dealing with. And so the the what what we were told should work, which was let's all have uh, you know a family get together, kind of Bible study time. Dad reads some passage from the Bible. You eagerly listen quietly and take it in. That just doesn't work. You know, it didn't work for us. And so, and it took it's, and it's frustrating. It's, it's actually uh, demoralizing because as a dad, you try to sit everybody down, right? <laughs> Do this this thing. You're reading. You bought a book. You're reading from the book. It feels awkward anyhow. And you're trying to, you know, give them a moral lesson, kind of an Aesop's fable type of thing, but through scripture and you're wanting them to really latch onto it. And one kid's like licking the couch and the other kid's, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, halfway, you know, naked and, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, and you, you need to start yelling at people, sit down, shut up. We're talking about Jesus. <laughs> and it just, it just doesn't work. And so it became a, a real struggle. And so I think over the years for us, it's really been more of a, um, you know, how do we get them, how do we keep them constantly just exposed to, uh, good things. And we talk about what's going on in society. We're really big into apologetics. And this has actually been something that my kids have both enjoyed. Uh, both of my boys have really uh, appreciated 
um, apologetic studies. And so going into how do we defend the, um, you know, the, uh, the gospel through reason rather than just turning back to the Bible. Um, and then keeping scripture in front of them uh, to some degree, uh, you know, maybe we, we've had seasons where we'll have the kids memorize scripture or we'll just have it, you know, posted in the house somewhere. Um, and then we go to church regularly and we have uh, just a lot of good discussions uh, about things. Um, I think for me, one of the things that I wish I did better, I'm an introvert by by my nature. And even though I've got the podcast and all that kind of stuff, my nature is to be an introvert. And so I process things by myself best. And so when I do my, I'm doing my internal thinking about scripture, I'm thinking of, you know, the big questions in, in life, the why questions. I'm kind of rehearsing what I know about the Bible and what I know is true. And maybe I'll even have some quiet time by myself where I'm, I'm writing out some scripture or something like that. But I don't do this out in front of everybody because that's strange to me. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And so the challenge is that my kids, I think, they get to see me living as a godly man in some some respects, in a lot of respects, I hope, but they don't necessarily see where that that influence comes from. And I think that's something that I wish I did better. I wish they could, I wish I could uh, kind of help them kind of see the framework of how I think and where it's coming from. Uh, otherwise, they might just think dad's just a good guy and that's just how he operates. He's always been a Christian and that's, you know, that's the way, that's the way he is. Um so that's one of the ways that one of the things I wish we did better, actually. Yeah, I think that's a struggle for a lot of guys. And um, you mentioned your your son's being on the autism spectrum, and you know whether whether uh, a kid is on the spectrum or not. I I do think that a lot of parents deal with, um, and I don't know the the right terms here, but like attention deficit disorders or just hyper kids in general. Um, where it is a struggle to kind of keep their attention, and that's the case for us. Like our our young guy is just constantly going. He's either on or he's off. And when he's on, he's <laughs> wanting to, you know, he's wanting to throw the ball or wrestle on the floor. And so it's really hard to get him to just sit and listen and be still. And so yeah. because of that, you know, I've like you mentioned, I've had some fails in the past where I'll I'll go get a, a Bible study, you know, pick it up at the store and I'll bring it home and I'll have these visions of this Norman Rockwell moment where we're all like you said, sitting there <laughs> talking about the word, it just it doesn't happen. And so, yeah. um, I try to weave a lot of those a lot of those topics into just everyday discussions. You know, where whether we're yep. driving to school in the morning and I'm talking about his day, and try to find a, a teachable moment in there. And the same thing when I pick him up after school and uh, talking about how his you know his interactions with his friends is like, could you have done this different and that different? All kind of through the lens of spiritual thinking, and so that I've found that that works pretty well because he engages more and you're not having to like sit him down and, you know, make him be still and, and take him out of the moment from whatever it is that he's doing. I'm curious, kind of a tangent, the, the autism factor, has that been a challenge when it comes to any of this? I mean, there's the obvious challenges there, but as far as like, um, I don't know, and I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about autism. I don't want to. No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, but what what specific challenges have been involved there? Yeah. So it's a. So when we when we think about it, autism, Asperger's, it's it's really a spectrum, and so it it doesn't necessarily show up the same way in every kid, and uh, and and both both my boys were kind of polar opposite in terms of what they exhibited. So one kid was what we would call sensory uh, seeking. So this would be more of like a sensory processing disorder of some kind, but uh, sensory seeking. So he wants to touch everything, wants to lick everything, wants to, you know, and some of that's just like kid stuff, right? That's just like just being a kid. Um, the other one was uh, sensory defensive. And so uh, didn't want noise, didn't want sound, didn't want to uh, go to more than one store during the day without, you know, having a break, uh, you know, uh, without breaking down, having a meltdown, that kind of stuff. Uh, couldn't, it was one of the kids where I, if I wanted to read him a story, I couldn't uh, have big inflectuations uh, of the of my voice, tone of voice. I couldn't do character. Um, I couldn't do sounds or Im- impressions and things like that. Um, so it was just, it was strange. And so you're kind of, and especially when you have the two together, it's like, how do you please both of them? Um, it held us back in some ways, making us, we couldn't travel like we wanted to when they were young. And uh, so there were, there were ch- challenges, but both of my, both of my sons, even that those things being said, they were still what we would call high functioning. And, and now you wouldn't, there's basically, I, I think, you know, there's, there's no trace of it. We, we, early on, we went through a lot of out of pocket expenses to get them therapy, um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, various things. 
to kind of help them along. But it's it's a challenge, and yeah, it was a challenge. It's a challenge leading. It's a challenge uh, with patients. It's a challenge understanding them. Uh, it was a challenge just um, financially. It was a, certainly a challenge for my wife. We homeschooled as well, so that was another big you know problem. Was that here we are? My wife's trying to homeschool these kids, and one's you know, they're three years apart, and one's you know totally different than the other one, and they they got different learning styles and different behavior styles. And, uh, and so it was a challenge. I mean, you know, but that's some of that's parenting. I look back now and go, Hey, I'm glad we were there. I'm glad we, we had as much time with them as we, as we did because, you know, they, they're, they're tremendous young men now, but yeah, it was definitely a challenge. And I, and I think that, um, I'm trying to think if, if it made a difference in terms of their receptiveness to the gospel or to those kinds of things. Um, I don't, I can't say that it's been any more than normal. You know, That's I think good. that that part of it has been uh, uh, received about as well as, as it is for most kids in, the, in you know, the world, in the United States. Right. I mean, as kids go, they've got a, a limbic system that they're kind of operating from that pre that prefrontal cortex that we get to take advantage of as adults really doesn't get there until you're about 26 years old or so uh, in a male. And so, you know, there's the kids just take a while to kind of. Uh, to really grow and to really understand some of these deep things, to really think outside of just their own desires, their wants and needs and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they're still growing through all that. And I think that, um, you know, it was, it was more of a challenge of our own patients and the, the, we'd see other families that were, as I described a second ago, they seem to have everything going well. All the kids are well adjusted and they go to school and they come back and, you know, they have family life and things are, you know, that just didn't happen. And that was really, really frustrating because I just assumed that that's just, that's just how it worked. You just, the family was easy. You didn't really have to work on it. And everything we've done has been work. Every, everything from day one since we got married has been work and it's, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Amen. I think that's a, an important point. It's kind of a side point, but an important point for any, you know, young married couple out there that whether we're talking about marriage or raising kids, none of it is easy and none of it just happens. I mean, it, it does happen. If you just let it happen, it's going to go downhill in a hurry, but you've got to be really yep. intentional about all your efforts. And so are either of your boys still homeschooled? Yeah. Um, my youngest is, and uh, he's kind of a, what we call work schooled now because he, he comes to the building and does his office school here at the shop. Um, but he's, you know, at, at the cool thing about homeschool and if you guys aren't familiar, listeners aren't familiar is that you, the, the kids don't necessarily go on a regular kind of schedule, like, you know, the, you know, seven to two thirty or eight to two thirty, whatever kids schedules are, um, you know, they kind of like, they kind of go in and out of subjects at different grades. So they might be, you know, in 10th grade in one subject and in seventh grade in another subject. And you're just kind of put, piecing it together and kind of working at their speed. And, um, but they also get a, a lot more freedom and a lot more autonomy. And so they can, as long as they're getting their work done, it's like, Hey, look, you're getting your work done and you understand what you're doing and you're getting passing grades you know, we're, we're, we're happy. And so for us at this point with a 16 year old, a lot of it's um, just making sure that he's doing the things that he's supposed to do instead of playing games. <laughs> and, and then we're just checking up on that. And that sounds easy. It's not easy because he wants to play games and do a lot of things um, rather than do school, which I totally understand. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're still homeschooling him. The, the 19 year old actually was off at college. Um, he got a, a full tuition scholarship and went to college for a period of time uh, for about two years and then came back home uh, due to some illness, and he's kind of working through that now. Uh, but it's also caused him to kind of change up his uh, kind of what he wants to do. It, you know, as, as you go on, you kind of get a little bit more clarity about what you want to do. Sure. And um, a lot of the, those first the first year of college is just the stuff you got to take. And now he's kind of like thinking, do I do I still need to go to college? And if I do, what am I? You know, what's the end result going to be? Um, and you know, we have the, the freedom to have those kind of conversations and it's good to, um, to let him know he's not pressured to go to school. Uh, you can do it if he feels like he needs to, if he wants to. So that's kind of where we are now. Going, kind of going back to your entrepreneurship background. Um, I'm trying to instill the concepts of entrepreneurship into my kids and get them to, to realize that they don't necessarily have to go to college and just go down right, the traditional right. path of get, you know, go to school, get a job, work for somebody. And that's your life trying to expose them to different yep. ideas. And the fact that you can invent your, your own destiny, whatever you, yeah. you know, whatever that might be, you can invent it if you want to. And so 
how have you exposed your kids to that? And it sounds like your older boy is maybe kind of latching onto that a little bit, but have you done anything intentional by way of kind of exposing your kids to those ideas? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough balance because on, on the one hand, you don't want to say, no, college is bad. The typical career path, that's not what you want to do. You want to be an entrepreneur, but they may not have the, what it takes to be an entrepreneur or the desire to be an entrepreneur. And so you want to leave that path open. But as an entrepreneur, I'm like, ah, screw college, you know, formal study, boo, just go out there and make it happen. YouTube videos. Yes. You know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I think. Right. And yep. uh, I think that's how a lot of, a lot of people, uh, adults now, I think, um, at least in our kind of vein of what we do think that way. It's like, man, there's so much opportunity. It's a ridiculous amount of opportunity. Um, the fact that you could open up an Etsy shop or a whatever shop and, and within 24 hours have access to the, the global marketplace is just insane. It is. And, um, and, and that you could, and, and that you could have that one business going for a while and learn from it and maybe make some money, maybe not, and then have something else. Um, anyhow, we can go on a, a whole tangent about this, but as far as exposing my kids to it, so they, they get a chance to see, they, they actually got a chance to see dad start a rustic in Maine, like in the garage, making circles basically out there in his <laughs> spare time. And then transition that to, you know, seven figure company. We got lots of employees now and a building and all this other kind of stuff and see that kind of continued growth. And, and also know that it's not just this, they, they know me, they know that like I'm a high school dropout. I got my GED. I don't have this great, uh, I'm not a genius. You know, this is I'm sort of like average American man in some ways um, and, and, and probably above average in a lot of other ways. But, you know, what I mean, like I'm, I'm not there's not anything special about me. I'm not like a rocket scientist or anything. I didn't go to Harvard or Yale and you don't have to. Right. You just need to have some some common sense and some good business sense. And uh, and that's taken a while to get. But they, they've had a chance to see it firsthand. And so they know that there's opportunity out there. I think for my youngest, he's all about it. He's all about the just go see what happens, figure it out you know, no formal education, just do it on his own. That's kind of more the way I think my older one is actually, he's a really, really sharp guy. Both of both my kids are sharp, but he's, he does very well on tests. He would be the typical go to, go to school, go to college, get a degree, you know, type of thing, but he doesn't have that desire to, um, to necessarily go to college for a lot of years and do some boring job. So he really wants, on the one hand, he wants a kind of a formal education experience because that's how I think he learns and he likes that accountability that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. But he also has more of the entrepreneurial bent. He would rather be a writer, uh, a director of movies, a producer or something like that. And so, uh, you know, we just kind of leave it open. It's like, look, you can go. Well, I guess the other thing too, is that my oldest is aware of the debt that a lot of times comes along with going to college. And, um, and you know, since he's got scholarships, it's probably not gonna be a big deal for him. But he is aware that, look, I don't want to just go out there and rack up all this debt and have, you know, twenty five, thirty, fifty thousand dollars in debt when I get out of school yeah. and then feel pressured to go and use my degree to do something that I no longer want to do. You mentioned uh, starting in your garage. Yeah. And I know that um, for me, I'm I'm sort of hyper aware, hypersensitive to this. And you hear it all the time with millennials and this, you know, the up and coming generation of the sense of entitlement. Yep. Yep. And I got to think I'm, I'm drawing some assumptions here, but the fact that your kids witnessed you build a business or two from nothing, you know, again, starting in your garage and working your way up to a seven figure business that they, they saw what it took. And yeah. I got to think that that has gone a long way or eventually will pay off at some point in the future. And as far as like instilling a, a work ethic and overcoming this sense of entitlement and, and, and showing them that when, when you've got a little motivation, you can achieve virtually anything. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I really do. I think, I think we all, not just the, the millennial generation, but I think we all are, uh, we can get enamored with just the ease of life and, um, you know, there's always a Starbucks or some coffee shop down the road we can go to. There's always some place to get food. There's always, you know, just things are easy. They can be easy. I mean, their heart, life has its challenges. We all get that. But as far as our culture and our society goes, it's made for comfort, right? It wants you to experience comfort. And I think that we can all, you know, get caught up into that. And so um, we're certainly, our generation is softer than our grandparents' generation. They're, they were softer than their great-grandparents' generation. You know how it goes. Yep, yep. And so I, I think that's something that we've just got to be mindful about, uh, regardless of, the, um, you know, whatever generation it happens to be. But we do see it more like in uh, the millennials and the Generation Z. And uh, just because they, they so obviously 
um, they're, they're kind of like naive about the the fact that work is still important and that morals are still important, that gender is still important, you know, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so we see it more, I think, more evident in those generations. And whereas you and I might want comfort, but we might wait a few weeks before we ask our boss for you know, our new job for, uh, you know, some time off or something like that, right? Millennials will come in and just say, you know, I need to only work three days a week. And, you know, because I'm the other couple of days, I'm at the coffee shop hanging out with my friends or something. It's like, <laughs> it's a, but that might be more like just the European way of doing things. And it's just kind of it's maybe where society's going. It's hard to say. But I do think my, my sons uh, have had a chance to see hard work. The other thing that they see is that the people who really put in the effort here at, at Rustic and Maine in particular, um, that, that really come in, that work hard, they're, they're the people who stand out. They're the people who get rewarded the most. And so I think they're getting a chance to see that if you if you really want to stand out and be somebody, if you're working for an employer or you're doing something on your own, um, you know, do your best, work hard at it, and 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 give it your all. And then I think that's when uh, I think that's 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 probably one of the best lessons that they've seen. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that's um, a good lesson to convey to your kids. From my experience, it's it's one thing to say; it's another thing for your kids to actually do. And I've had similar conversations with my son, yet I still struggle to get him to, and I guess this is true with any kid, but like, I just, I'd want to feel assured that he's not afraid to work. Yeah. Granted, he's, he's only 10, but when I give him the simplest chore to do most of the time, he, you know, grunts and groans and it's like, you're asking him to cut off a limb. It's the end of the world. (laughs) Yep. Hearing your kids have been exposed to these ideas, have you seen it in action with them? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, we still we have that exact same struggle. You know, clean your room, do this, do that. And I was that way when I was their age. Yeah. I mean, maybe not when I was nineteen, but when I was certainly when I was ten years old, my granddad would. Oh my gosh, you drive me crazy. So I, I lived with my grandparents for a number of years, and he would on. It seemed like every weekend, but I know it's probably only happened like maybe twice a year. He would go out and then prune. He'd be up at like oh dark thirty. I don't even know how he saw, but he'd go out and he'd prune the trees. We had an orchard uh, with maybe five, six, you know, different trees out there. He'd go out and prune the trees and just leave all the limbs on the ground. And I would be, you know, I'd be sitting coming downstairs at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning with my on a Saturday, you know, with my bowl of cereal ready to watch some cartoons, you know. And this is you couldn't like you couldn't record stuff. This is like the one day of the week where you could watch stuff, <laughs> and uh, I look forward to this. And I'd sit there with my you know my bowl of cereal, and I'm thinking I'm going to have a whole day where it's just going to be me, this TV, and we're going to be watching cartoons. And um, I know where this is going. <laughs> my granddad would come in. He'd say, "Hey, look, you need to get to work. Yep, and uh, you know finish your cereal, get out there, and get those limbs up." And it would just I just hated it, absolutely hated it. But then I would see you know like uh, the things that I wanted to do. Um, I worked hard at, you know, the things that I had come up with, like, you know, and, the, and this probably goes back to the entrepreneurial side of things. If it was an idea that I had, I'd stay at work all, all day and not even think about cartoons, not think about playing toys, nothing. Right. If I wanted to go out in the shop and make something, I was always making stuff as a kid. And I've seen the same thing in my own sons is like, if there's something that they're really passionate about themselves, they'll work hard for it. Yeah. And so I think there's, I, I got to separate in my mind that there's a yeah, there's a, when I, when I'm asking them to do some stuff, there's kind of that, you know, him and haul and I don't really want to do it. I guess I'll get it done kind of attitude and they'll eventually, you know, they'll still do it. But when they want to do something that they're passionate about, then they'll go and do it. I haven't found a really good way to get them passionate about doing some menial tasks, but, um, and maybe ne- we never are you know, until it becomes our own family and our own life. But <clears throat> I don't want to equate that to they're lazy. They're, they're they don't work hard. They don't know how, how to work hard. It's just, I think for a lot of their generation, it's finding those things that they're passionate about and then setting them loose on it. Yeah. And, but then obviously there's going to be things in life you just got to do. It's just stuff you just got to do regardless of how much you, you like it or don't like it. Yeah. And I think as parents, it's our job to kind of stay in tune with those things that might be their passions, right? And then if we see those opportunities, yeah. Yeah. if those passions maybe require a little bit of work, but in their minds, it's not really work because they enjoy doing what they're doing, then we've got to do all that we can to really foster that, right? And give them more opportunities to do that and ex- kind of experience and see the results, the fruits of their labor, if you will. And so that they can kind of learn those lessons without really even realizing it. And I think that one of the challenges that I that I face with with my boys, and I think we're gonna, I, I imagine every parent faces this, is that uh, the things that kids like to do now 
are very, um, they're electrifying to the brain. They want to sit in front of the TV. They want to, um, more than ever, they want to play games more than ever. They want to be in front of the computer on their phones, whatever the case is. And so, and that, the, that feels good on a level that, um, of kind of enjoyment and dopamine and oxytocin, all this other kind of stuff that's happening in the, in the brain, these chemicals are swirling. That feels good on a level that you and I probably didn't experience except for maybe a few times a month, mm-hmm. you know, as kids. And it was just like when the new cartoon came out or just when a new toy came out or something like that. Right. Or maybe, you know, with, with playing games, mm-hmm. but we had, we always had like limits. Uh, life just kind of limited us in, in a lot of ways to doing things. The kids, it's almost like they don't have limits. They're always being called to that. And so you're, when you ask them to put down the game or deny themselves that pleasure in order to go do this menial task, you know, go do this chore, take the trash out, clean your room, whatever it happens to be to them, that feels like you're basically telling me to go, you know, leave my loved one to go off to war. <laughs> you know, it's like in their minds is what it's what it feels like. And it's, and that's, that's what we're, that's what we're up against today. And that's one of the biggest challenges I think parents have. I know that we have is just saying, look, you're going to have to learn that life doesn't always feel like that. Life doesn't always give you that. Yeah. You have 24 access to, to that to some degree, but that's not, that's not reality. You know, you don't always just get to experience, you know, unfettered entertainment and pleasure, you know, all the time. And, but that's what they, that's kind of what they grow up thinking is that, that we're supposed to do. And yeah. It's, and it's not. Yeah, I agree. You've got to, um, you've got to build that discipline in them. And we got to start with ourselves by walking away from those devices that, like you said, yep. Rec- yep. Uh, provide that instant dopamine with a tap of a button. Yep. And when you're asking them to walk away from something that can provide instant gratification to go do something that requires work and effort is, and it's probably not that much fun. Yeah. It's, it's a huge uphill battle. And I, as you were kind of going through that, I got to thinking back like, yeah, we're the same age. And and for us, when we were kids to experience a similar, I'll call it a high, you know, we had to put some work in, like, think about, you know, we would make ramps for our bikes. Oh yeah. And you could spend, you know, two, three hours with your friends building a ramp, shoveling some dirt, getting a board, you know, getting it just right. And maybe doing a few test runs before you really got it right. And you could really catch some serious air and get that high. Yeah. And you might have spent all day trying to achieve that, where these kids can, they can achieve it just in a blink of an eye almost. Well, it's funny that you say that because my, my son, Liam, uh, he's 16. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not been a biking kid, but he's, yeah, he's owned bikes and he's rode them to his friend's house and that kind of stuff. Well, you know, just over the last, I guess, probably two weeks or so it's like his friends have just discovered this, I this concept of building ramps and that you could jump bikes off of ramps. I've, I mean, I've tried to show this to them before, <laughs> but it's, it's now it's their thing. Right. Yeah. And they've literally gone into my backyard and they've dug holes, uh, you know, and it's it, my backyard is not pristine anyhow. So it doesn't matter that much, but they've dug, you know, like all this dirt in order to make ramps. They've piled up logs and they've covered the logs with dirt in order to make ramps. I mean, they're out there like in the rain shoveling, uh, putting stuff together, high-fiving each other when stuff gets done. You that know, is awesome. You know, they're celebrating. You know, it's 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 awesome, right? It's like total '80s kid yeah. kind of throwback. Yeah, and uh, and I love I love to see it. And he and he is. He's all about making ramps now. And yeah. so this it's been cool to see that that happen. And just it just sort of happened. It wasn't something we asked him to do. You know, we didn't tell him to go outside more. Some of his friends started doing it, and they just got into it. But it's it's totally that's that's exactly what what they're doing. It's like yes, it's happening. It still exists. Yeah, I know. I. I agree. Kids need to do more of that. And it is kind of a challenge because my boy does tend to like to do those things. He's very active and outdoorsy and he likes to throw the ball and ride his bike and do all that stuff. But it's hard for him to find other boys in the neighborhood who also want to do that because they've got video games. And so he'll go over to their house. He'll, you know, he'll be like, Hey, I'm going over to so-and-so's house. Sounds good. And like 10 minutes later, he's back. I'm like, what? I thought you were going over to so-and-so's house yeah all he wanted to do was play video games so i decided to leave and in the back of my mind i'm like yes it's like a a psa for parents don't let your kids be lame yeah Yeah. you know if your kid has a chance to get outside and do some real thing make them go go do that and we one of the things we've kind of learned the last few years is just having some kind of monitoring or protective device on software on computers on phones things like that that only gives them a certain amount of time and so and it's like, look, you got to find something to do because you only got two hours a day on your computer. And, yeah. You know, that's it. So I think having those, those restrictions are really going to be helpful. Yeah, I agree. And that's one area where I struggle because I know that I'm on my phone too much and I'm on my computer too much. And 
I am in that specific area. I am not doing a good job of leading the way. And so, um, I just had a guest on not long ago that we kind of talked about some of this stuff and he was going through some specific uh, stats and data around all this. And it just kind of, it was like a punch in the gut. It's like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not setting a great example in that specific area. So I, that is one thing that I'm trying to get better at personally. Um, but yeah, we parents need to, uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, need to lead by example because they're watching us. Yep. Yep. One thing that I'm, uh, I started with my son when he turned 10, I sat him down. It was one of the few times when I was able to get him to sit still. And I'm like, okay, now this is a big birthday. You're 10 years old for the next three years from the time you're 10 to three year, or 13 years old. I'm going to have you go through what I've called the legacy challenge. Mm, okay. And I'm going to, over a period of time, slowly, I'm going to challenge him with various things that will hopefully, you know, build his faith in God, instill some biblical wisdom, give him a sense of humility, uh, teach him perseverance, you know, le- learning that he can push himself farther than maybe he thought he could, both physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah, build up his his courage, his self confidence, even like basic survival skills. Like, how do you start a fire? Kind of like manly stuff. Um, some basic hunter safety skills, and then you just overcoming fear of, or I should say, overcoming the fear of failure, and teaching him that when he does fail, he can learn valuable lessons from those, and kind of rolling that all into very intentional, um, you know, whether it's an event or a challenge or even like tasks that I give him that may seem almost overwhelming and will require him to really sweat it out. But um, hopefully when he gets done, we'll have a sense of accomplishment, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so... um, Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think it's. I'm looking forward to it and it's going to hold my feet to the fire um, because I've now told him that this is what we're going to do and this will involve some some fun trips and activities with uh, myself and him and... But I was just wondering, like, having kind of heard all that for the first time, do you have any advice? Well, you kind of said this a little bit. You got to hold your feet to the fire. And I think you've got the podcast here. So um, assuming that your audience is involved in that and, and maybe your your podcast is a bit of, a, of, of an accountability for you in that regard, um, you know, a lot of guys aren't, aren't going to be able to follow through with that. My kids went to scouts for a while. Um, we just didn't didn't click necessarily with how it was being run. And, and we tried a couple of different uh, troops and, and just, I don't know, it, it, sometimes it was better than others. And, and sometimes it was too much of the, you know, sit down, read a book, you know, kind of talk through stuff. We just wanted to like do stuff like build fires and make things. And so we quit that. And I thought when, when we quit scouts, I thought I'm just going to take my kid camping and I want to teach my kid how to start fires. I want to teach my kid this and this, you know, these different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those things I've done, but not, not nearly the amount of things that he would learn if, if he had stayed in, right. Mm-hmm. How to tie knots and, and, you know, survival things. Um, but so I know for me, you know, looking back on it, one of the things I wish I, I had was more guys involved to hold, kind of hold us accountable as a group. Right. Um, so we'd kind of start our own scouts, you know, whatever you want to call it. And that's, that would have been much better for me. And so I, I the only advice I would guess I would have for you is, Maybe you're a planner, and this could go for the guys who are listening to this too. Maybe you're someone who loves organization. You love planning things out. You love um, sticking to a, a schedule and a plan. And so you're going to you're going to lay out all the you know for the next three years. Here's the things that he's going to learn. Here's how he's going to learn them. And here's when he's going to learn them. And we're going to go on this trip, and it's going to do all these things, right? That's not me. That's not how my brain operates. And for most entrepreneurial minded people, they're, they're typically not like that. Especially if you're a creative individual. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not. But you've got to have some of that and you've got to have a plan. And so, uh, it's good to have those, you know, kind of a checklist of things that you want them to, to do. But I think that, uh, just executing on that and just being consistent with executing on that, you know, every month we have a challenge or every quarter we, we go on a trip or whatever the case is. Um, that's where I would fall short. So my, my advice would basically be to myself and that is have a plan, have some other guys involved to hold you accountable to it. And, um, don't be disappointed if it doesn't turn out exactly like you planned. Like we talked about in the beginning. That's a great point. Just expect it to be something that you're, you're sowing seeds and they're going to take root at some point down the road. Maybe when he's 20, when he's 30, he's going to remember this stuff and go, oh my gosh, I had such a unique experience 
with my dad. And it's so unlike anything else that, that my friends had. And I'm so much, I've benefited so much from that in ways that I, I can't even, you know, fathom. That'll happen down the road, probably when he has his own family. But you're, you know, kind of sowing the seeds and doing the work now. Yeah. Well, that's the hope. That's the hope. And, and, um, ultimately I think it's going to be, you know, hopefully part of the legacy that I leave him. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to give us both something to look forward to. Um, like I said, it's going to hold my feet to the fire to be really intentional and hopefully show him that when we're intentional about our, our time and our attention and our energy, that great things can happen. Fun things, um, positive things that really, um, have long lasting effects. Yeah. Well, Mike, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I know I could probably keep talking, but you've probably got a business to run. Um, (laughs) One thing that I like to ask everybody, and I just kind of mentioned legacy here a little bit, um, this platform of mine is part of my own legacy. But when you hear the term an inspired legacy, what does that mean to you? What is your definition of an inspired legacy? That's a good question. And I think that there's kind of two parts to it that come to mind. You know, one is I want to leave a legacy to my family and my employees and, and other people, other, other, other men that, that I will never, ever meet. And, uh, and I want to inspire them or I want them to, to look at my life and go, okay, there's some things that Mike did or said or lived out that, man, that's just good. Like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a little bit more like that in, in Mike in some ways. But then also there's the, you know, so that's the inspiring. I want to inspire other people. I think there's also the aspect where I've got to be pointing to the things that inspired me so people can get filled up as well. I don't want them to, uh, this is the danger that, that a lot of churches have preachers have that is they become the focal point of the, the mission. I don't want to be the focal point. And that's, that's hard to do when you're, when you've got your own podcast and blog and your brand and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But ultimately I want guys to be connected with men through history, men, uh, other podcasts and men that are getting things done now. And really to be understand that, that, that the things that I've figured out or the things that I did well, didn't just come from my brain. Like I didn't just wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to be a better man in this way or that way. It's been through books. It's been through, um, the, uh, the sharing of time and, and knowledge with other men. Uh, it's been through running my own podcast where I'm getting fed as I'm asking, you know, just like this kind of conversation here, you and I are just asking questions and going back and forth. I'm getting, you know, built up with these kinds of things. And so I want guys to, to be able to see what inspired me to do well. And then I just want to live it out. You know, I just want to live it out well. And uh, that's my goal. Not, not perfectly, but genuinely. And I, I hope that, you know, at the end of my days, um, I can look back and be proud of the man I was, the legacy that I left behind, and the people who've, whose lives I've touched. Um, you know, one of the things that happens now, somewhat regularly on Wolf and Iron, is that you know, a guy will reach out to me on Messenger or email or something like that or social media, and he'll say, Mike, you know, I just I really appreciate the podcast so much. Um, I appreciate what you do, what you stand for with Wolf and Iron. This episode or this thing, you know, just really touched me and it, it, it helped my life in, in, in a way it's helped save my marriage, done some, some good thing. And there's a sense of fulfillment that comes with that. That's hard to match. And I think that's a big part of the legacy that every man longs for is that we get a chance to, to see that we, we made a difference. We made a positive impact on the lives of other people. And if we can do that, um, you know, whether it was five people or 5,000 or 5 million, um, you know, there's, we're going to be, we're going to be filled up and it's going to, it's going to, that's going to be the, the legacy that's, inspiring to others. And I, and I think points people to what inspired us. I love it, man. I love it. You're doing great work and you've got a lot of irons in the fire before we let you go. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Um, maybe you touched on some, some new things that you've got, uh, in the hopper there, but where can people connect with you, yep. whether it's Wolf and Iron, Rustic and Maine or Side Hustle Switch, and we'll get all that in the show notes. Yeah. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm on all these things, but for you guys who are listening, um, this is going to fit more in the the sphere of what we're doing, what we're talking about. And that's Wolf and Iron. It's wolfandiron.com. You can head over there. We've got a, um, the landing page is basically our storefront, but, uh, you know, there's blogs there, podcasts, ways to connect with me, talks about what the mission is and those kinds of things. And, um, you know, that'll give you all access to everything that you, that you need to get involved with. Awesome. And guys, if you like anything that the Inspired Legacy stands for and is about, you're going to love Wolf and Iron. I encourage you to head over there and check it out. Mike, I've really enjoyed our talk today. I know we scratched the surface on a lot of stuff. I'd love to have you back someday. 
Yeah, buddy. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Well, there you have it. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Mike Yarbrough of Wolf and Iron. Again, I would love to hear what you guys thought of the show. Feel free to connect with both of us on Instagram. I am at The Inspired Legacy. And Mike is uh, on Instagram. He is at Wolf and Iron. That's all one word. Wolf and Iron. Connect with us on Instagram. Post something to your stories. Let us know what you thought of the show. And if you guys are looking for more of this type of content, more support, if you want to surround yourself with more fathers, look to keep your axe sharp. Um, just connect with other like-minded dads. I want to invite you to join our free and private Facebook group. You're going to find encouragement, support, like I mentioned, accountability, spiritual growth, all of the things that um, guys who are raising kids are just finding themselves wanting more and more of. You're going to find it in this group. So again, uh, the link to this group is in Facebook, or (laughs) the link to this group is in the show notes, so I'd invite you to check it out. Again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Remember, subscribe, leave a review, and share our message because I really do believe that when we all work together to lift up fatherhood, we're going to change the world one dad at a time. Until next time, live inspired.